This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. My name is Hien and I am a singer, producer, sound designer based in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm originally from Budapest, Hungary. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all of Thank you so much, Hin, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So, you know, uh, before we get into all of the producing and music stuff, uh, you just got together with a bunch of comedians and people in New York to put on this really interesting show called Vuive Fest, right? Yes, yes. Um, so the idea of Vuive Fest came about in April, so it's it's still pretty new, and Basically, I I had lunch with uh, Leo, who's an amazing stand-up comedian, because uh, he had a gig in, in New York. And we had lunch at this Vietnamese restaurant in the area where I live uh, called Nha Minh. And it's right at the border of um, Brooklyn and Queens. And in the same building, we saw the stage of Transpicos, which is my favorite rave venue in the area. And we just like looked at each other and we were like, are you thinking about the same thing? And we started to come up with ideas. Yeah. Like it was, it was very like spontaneous. It was my second time meeting Leo in person. Like we've been uh, really supporting with each other through Instagram, but that visit of his to New York was our first time meeting. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we just started to come up with ideas how would that look like to to throw an art event with stand-up comedy, music, visual art, and food? And and yeah, we reached out to, to Nyaming. They love the idea. We ran the idea by our Vietnamese friends in New York, and they were all super excited because, you know, there's not many um, arts and, and youth events that are centered around our community in New York. So yeah, our friends from this group called OVNYC, which stands for Overseas Vietnamese New York City. They helped us um, spread the word in their network. And yeah, it was a it was a packed full house event, which we did not expect at all from our first event. It's crazy because you said you got together in April. Yeah. Like a few weeks ago. And then you yeah. maybe like in May sometimes. It's like a few it's like about a month and a, a half, weeks. maybe. Yeah, it was a few weeks. Uh, yeah, because you know we we knew that I'm gonna go to Europe um, in May, so we had to do it kind of before. So Leo and Leo and I, we were like, well, you know, maybe this is not gonna happen, and this was just a cool idea, but let's try it. And then it just it just happened. <laughs> and, and I heard, uh, did it sell out? Yeah, it was it was a full house. Like uh, I think the capacity of Transpicos is like. 250 so with our like 
crew and like all the people who bought tickets, it was it was packed. Like Nyaming had to close their kitchen an hour earlier because it was just so many people. Wow. You know, that's yeah. so inspiring for all these other communities, you know, throughout the United States, Australia, you know, Hungary, Paris, where, wherever there's Vietnamese. I mean, literally, you can get together in a few weeks and put together these impromptu shows. And how did it turn out? It was it was amazing. Like there were a lot of um, locals, Viet Americans, Viet Europeans, Vietnamese from Vietnam, other Asian friends, and also some uh, non Asians. And the sense of community I felt in the room was was on another level for me. Like it really felt like that that we needed this space. We are already brainstorming about the next one, so yeah. we are like super excited to to do more of these because it looks like there's there's a need for it. <laughs> no, there's definitely a need for sure. There's definitely a need for this to happen in Connecticut, Idaho, Texas, you know, wherever yes. there are <laughs> Vietnamese people. Vietnamese. I hope people listening will be inspired by this, you know, coming together so quickly, you know. Yeah, we, we had some friends from um, Chicago, from DC, and they were like, oh, I wish you guys like, did something similar in our cities and we were like yeah that would be that would be amazing now can you tell me about how the um the actual event went like how many comedians came on did you do any music uh, you know is there uh, any artwork that was displayed how did the show get uh, broken up yes yeah, so the first hour we had um stand-up comedians we had seven or six or seven because there was one person who kind of like came in the picture last minute uh, so we had a lot of um vietnamese and southeast asian um stand-up comedians in the first hour um and then we had music i i, I played a uh 45 minute uh live performance set with um some of my new music i sang in vietnamese which i don't really do but uh i kind of wanted to try it out here <laughs> And it, it was great. And after that, we had um, a DJ set. Um, his uh, artist name is Windows XP, NXP. Uh, and he's a he's a really cool um, DJ and producer from from Hanoi. And he's pretty like present in the in the electronic like rape scene in New York. So we had him. And then we had um, two visual artists, uh, Nessa Nguyen and uh, Zui Vo. Um, and they did like merch and they had like a bunch of like illustrations and posters, um, on this, like originally empty wall, uh, at the space. Uh, Zuivo is, um, is he married to Tao? Yes. Do you know him? Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> me and Tao actually years ago when we had a movie, could have been 2011, and they helped, you know, spread the word. And we kept in touch all these years. And, you know, what a great, you know, I, I knew them before they were married and great couple. <laughs> you see, like at the end, at the end, it, like everybody knows everyone. Like okay. I, um, so Zui, I didn't know him in person. He just like um, messaged me on, on, on Instagram that he liked my work. And I checked out his work. I'm like, wow, this is so dope. And then same with Nessa. I only knew her online and i just told leo like you know if we do stand-up comedy and music like we might as well try to include other forms of art 
like in the future, we are thinking of getting some like theater kids as well uh, in the picture. But yeah, so we had two visual artists and and they were selling uh, really cool merches. So, you know, people could like bring home something as a, as a nice memory. And then Yaming is like, they have the best food in the area. So they did some like barbecue in the backyard and they had like a full Vietnamese menu available for people. Beautiful. Now, <laughs> what can we learn from the event not to do because you had such a short time? So if people are planning out there to do other shows like this, what what did you learn from the experience? And what okay, not yeah, I, I def we definitely had to like, you know, uh, regroup after the event to kind of like discuss what are the things that we need to improve like it was our first event yeah. um so we learned that if you do if you throw an event for like Asians everybody will want to eat like you know everyone so <laughs> it was it was really um yeah that was that was something that, that's good uh, that's good for Nyaming right yeah it, it was good for for Nyaming but I think that they did not expect Prepare. that many people either yeah so like it was packed like people were just like standing eating and and they were there was a huge line like yeah some people had to like um leave the event in the middle to get food somewhere else and come back because there were just so many people who wanted to eat um and yeah you know we in our mind we were like okay if we have 100 people that's great enough if we can yeah. cover the cost because we're not we don't do this for the money we just wanted to have fun um but yeah it was like over 200 people so so yeah that's something that we definitely want to want to do better next time to like have like you know enough um food and um what else i guess you know this is this is something that i thought about before but this time i think it was even more relevant like um there were a lot of people and some a, a lot of them uh complained that they didn't really see anything because they were in the back yeah and yeah, like, you know, we are, we are not tall people <laughs> in general. So I, I had this like idea, but it was a joke, but honestly, it might work that whenever I'm going to do a show, I'm just going to tell the short people to come to the front before I start the show. Right, right. <laughs> and, and there's no platform for the stage to elevate. The uh, st th there was a platform for the stage, but it was just like really packed. And the, the venue is kind of like, not like wide, but it's more like long. So there were a lot of people um, in the back. Um, and other than that, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, there are some like um, little like organizational and logistic things that um, we can do better. But but honestly, this team with like working with Leo was was a really nice experience. And um, the OVNYC people that are our friends, um, they made it very easy to uh for like you know uh with the communication and and to like promote the event like it was very smooth i guess we because we are also friends in real life we kind of yeah. like understand each other and yeah we just wanted to do something fun for our friends and our community so there was not like really a pressure that oh my god we have to like reach this many like numbers and we have to like i don't know to this brand or yeah we didn't have this kind of mindset sure. yeah how beautiful is that to have you know this impromptu you know a few weeks out and we're going to have this like event and put together and have a great time and no pressure you know that's how it should be right 
honestly yes like it, it, it just felt like because I've been I've been um hanging out with um a lot of different like Vietnamese groups in New York you know we I I hosted like a hot pot party and and you know we go out to have food or like go drink and um we just wanted to do like a, a big a big house party kind of and, and and to kind of center and highlight Vietnamese creatives and artists because OV NYC like they throw really cool events uh, as well but that is centered around more like um there are creatives too but there are more like non-creative like people in you know like finance marketing and all the other yeah. fields but but this our event was more like centered around arts and and the creatives creatives yeah and speaking of arts and creatives how did you get to brooklyn i uh, moved to brooklyn in 2019 uh, I graduated from um, Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and then I got an internship in in New York, and that's how I ended up there. I, I was thinking uh, about California, by the way, because, you know, for the music um, point of view, like L.A. and New York are kind of like the main hubs for the yeah. kind of music I, I make. So L.A. and New York were my two main um, options, but then somehow... I got more opportunities earlier in in New York, and I did not regret it because I love New York. Now, to even get to Brooklyn and Berkeley uh, College of Music, we have to go back a few more years to Hungary and how you grew up and how you got into music. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, so I got into music at a very young age. I started to play um, the violin and piano in like first grade. So, so yeah, my love for, for music um, was just like, I don't know, ever since I started to speak and, and walk. Um, I started music at a very young age. I started to play violin and piano first in like first grade and second grade. But I always loved... Um, singing and and my parents told me that i i always like every time um we had like uh arguments and fights was about that i didn't want to eat because i was just always like singing i was always like watching um you know like mtv and tunya pari and all that and i was just singing um and then later on in hungary after um, having spent like years in this like music school that I went to in the afternoons, I was actually it wasn't even me who who had the idea. It was my friends who encouraged me to to apply to this like talent show in Hungary. Um, and I did. I didn't expect anything. Um, and I got like the call back. And yeah, I was in this, um, it's, it's kind of like the Hungarian idol or like Hungary's got talent, um, here. So I appeared there when I was 14. Yeah. I was super young. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I don't know if a 14 year old is ready for the music industry, but, but I did it. Um, and, and yeah, since then, I think it just became clear that singing and music is, is, the thing that I want to do. 
And, and at what point do you kind of like pick a musical genre? You know, because I think if at 14, you're singing for idols, uh, for a show like Idol in Hungary. It's a, a little bit more poppy and it's not the kind of music that you're doing now. So at what point yeah. do you, like as an artist, pick the kind of genre and the lane that you want to pursue? I think at the age of 14, I didn't really know what my sound is. I just wanted to sing and I didn't really care about anything else. I was heavily influenced by the pop music at that time, pop and R&B singers and, and bands. So I just, I was singing their covers and, and at the talent show, they gave me like similar songs in that genre because I, I knew them already. And I think that came much later that I started to, you know, write my own music and kind of like experiment with other genres and, and figure out what what is kind of like my sound, I guess. You know, um, as I uh, listen to other podcasts in the world and hear about the journey of, of creatives and artists and musicians, sometimes I realize that the talent is not as important as the luck that comes yeah. along, right? And do you feel that way? Or, you know, in your life, do you feel like you got lucky? Uh, were there moments in your your career that you felt like, I mean, your friends telling you, hey, you should sign up for this idol contest is a pretty <laughs> weird, right? It's like, or not. I mean, yeah. are there bigger kind of uh, lucky moments in your your career? I think so. Like, I, I believe that um, the, this is like God's or the universe, this plan. And that's kind of like beyond us. Like we either like meant to become artists or, or not. Yeah. And that's why I kind of like try to let go of, of the things that are out of my control. Like, obviously yeah. I try my best. I try to work hard and, and believe in my artwork and my craft, but but how it's going to be received and what new doors is going to open to me. I try not to stress too much about that. Yeah, because we almost have no control of any of exactly. this. Yeah. It's exactly. A and then there are so many, so many talented artists out there and some of them will will make turn it into a career and, and some of them will not and i don't think and you know I, I don't think that those artists who will not make it into a career they are they are less of, of an yeah. artist you, you you ever heard of that um singer his name is josh groban he's like an opera oh, singer like I think, I think i'm not that he's familiar. like yeah he's a white guy out of la um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I was listening to a podcast that he was on and, you know, he was like at 17, you know, he was uh, not like 14. He his parents were friends with uh, a vocal teacher who it's like a very powerful vocal teacher here in L.A. And he didn't know. I mean, you know, when you're 14, you don't think about these things. You're, you know, you're going to uh, uh, vocal lessons and you don't know that this is like Seth Riggs is like one of the biggest vocal. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, of course. Right. He has CDs. <laughs> I, I mean, I, when yeah. I was younger, I had Seth Riggs CDs, you know, yeah, I have, I have uh, his material on my laptop too, like the scales and stuff. Yeah. Like, the scale, I yeah, do yeah. Those. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
I used to warm up to the scales of Seth. You do? Oh my god! <laughs> and this was this was like in uh, ninety nine two thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would warm up to Seth Riggs, right? So Seth Riggs was Josh Groban's uh, vocal coach, like in elementary school or high school. Wait, <laughs> it's crazy, it's right? Crazy. So then you know Seth yeah. Riggs is like a coach to all the big rock stars in LA, blah blah blah. So he's like you know going through this training, and then um, this producer calls up Seth Riggs, like, "Hey, you know, I got this like show. I I I I need some uh, somebody. Do you have a male vocalist?" He's like, yeah, this one student, uh, Josh Groban, and then puts him in touch with David Foster, which he produces. Yeah. Bocelli and, <laughs> yeah. And, and Celine Dion and, you know, and he puts him on a, a show or two. And then when when Josh turns 17, he gets another call from David Foster. He's like, OK, so I couldn't get Andrea Bocelli to perform at the Grammys. I need you to fill in for him with Celine Dion. So those kinds of moments of luck. And, you know, I and Josh Groban through the interview was like, I wasn't even thinking of becoming a singer. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to just be a maybe a writer, producer. I just want to be in the arts. I did not yeah. have to be a singer. It's crazy how it is. But that, those are the things that you cannot be like strategic about. Like, yeah. it just happens sometimes. I guess the stars are aligned. Aligned, Yeah. Yeah. He's like 33 now. Josh Groban is like a multi-million dollar career. I mean, it's like, it's just listening to this stuff going, oh my God, this is like the most insane story, you know? And I think about your trajectory in life and, you know, you're doing uh F Fest. You've done a uh, South by Southwest. You've done things in your life. And, you know, the, the iteration, the next iteration of your career who knows where it goes and that's the exciting and the the beautiful part of it right yes that's the beautiful exciting and also scary, scary part of it i think i guess like in you can you can say that to all the all the fields and jobs that sometimes you cannot you know you can't like plan everything out because there will be some unexpected things happening but especially in the fields of arts like it's always just a roller coaster yeah. it's always the big question mark what's next so i think i kind of learned that i have to i had to get used to this feeling of like uncertainty sometimes can i ask you um when you have moments and you know i ask all these questions because i go through this crazy shit too right and so i'm asking you as another artist when you go through these difficult moments as an artist uh what helps you to get out of these tough moments like when you therapy, feel- <laughs> therapy yeah uh, no but no, yeah therapy definitely helps um i think hmm, i think being an artist and the process of creation can feel very lonely sometimes yeah. and it helped me a lot to to have a loving family or friends or you know like the sense of community is something that has been helping a lot um, in these moments. And I guess community is, is important for everyone, um, but that main thing that helps you out can be different for people. But I think for me, that was the that was the thing that I can hold on to when I want to take a break of being an artist because I kind of learned that I don't have to be an artist like 24-7. 
like you know because because when i'm in the major middle of a project i think i'm just like i i wake up with the thought of like creation and i and i go to sleep with the thought of how can it be better and sometimes i think we need some time and, and, and space from it and just be like normal human beings and yeah. i don't know enjoy like food and and yeah and touch some grass and be with your friends like i try to make sure that i have some moments when i kind of like you know disconnect from the artist self yeah because i feel like um we go through these extraordinary roller coaster ups and downs you know as people in the arts and creative fields it's a it's not even when you're at the very top i've i've noticed even people at the very very top or people on the way up it's still a big struggle i think psychologically and in the moments of darkness is sort of sometimes where you find uh real diamonds and gems you know in the moments of darkness but it's hard when you're going through it trying to sort of figure things out yes it just like you have to go through so many failures until you get to like a good idea or or yeah as you said like a little gem or like diamond mm -hmm. and then i guess like for the people who like climb up that ladder and they are more successful then they have to deal with all that criticism yeah and then pressure. Yeah, yeah a lot of pressure what does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? I love I love that question, and I love that you asked that from <laughs> from uh for all of your guests. Um, you know, this is interesting because my connection with being Vietnamese has always been changing, and I think for diaspora people, it can be even more complex. And you know, I watched the, the interview you made with uh, Ocean Wong. And and I'm such a big fan of mm. his and and his words have been influencing me a lot ever since I started to explore his work. And in the interview you made with him, which was a great interview, by the way, um, he said that being Vietnamese is being innovative. Mm. And and that really stayed with me. And yeah, like if we think about it, our ancestors had to push through so many decades of different wars and they really needed to think of new ways to survive and i think this element stayed with the next generations both in vietnam and both in the diaspora to to just do things in super unconventional ways and you know like even when you go out on the streets of vietnam like we see the most random and absurd things such like unconventional approaches and, and a lot of them are hilarious like it's empowering inspiring and funny at the same time a lot of times so yeah i, I think that's why we love those vietnamese meme pages so much <laughs> like there's this there's this instagram page called um vietnamese i don't know if you know yeah. that yeah it's, it's my favorite meme page and i think that that captures it perfectly <laughs> Yeah, you know, in the early days, uh, in the um, when Vietnam just opened up, uh, and we were all going back, you see like families of like, I mean, I'm exaggerating here, but like eight people on a motorbike. <laughs> yeah, and it works. They just make it work. Yeah, and it works. Or like you know those stores where they like sell 
like food, SIM cards, and pets, like and fruits, like you know these like random things, like how, but they make it work. <laughs> yeah, or a refrigerator, a mini refrigerator on the back of a motorbike. Yeah, all kinds of crazy pigs <laughs> on motorbikes back then. And I yeah, and like imagine, especially like for like non-Vietnamese when they travel there, like how absurd mm -hmm. these must be. Like they're like who. Who think this way or who does that? <laughs> but that's sort of like a thing that I talk about with guests sometimes too. It's like, okay, so before the internet, before all of the, the, the going back and forth and we as human beings were sort of like, we had to, not out of our choice, but we're committed to a certain geographical space and we couldn't, we're confined to it. And so we developed the way we dress, the way we eat, the way we talk in this confined area and then it came out with the Yai, and then it came out with fa it came up with all these wonderful things and then you go to like a place like hoi an and it's like it looks a certain way and it feels a certain way but as time goes on and we're all being interconnected and we're sharing ideas in hungary new york brooklyn la things are sort of meshing together and becoming the same you know and that's kind of scary, but beautiful at the same time. What like? Do you have any thoughts on that as an artist? Where, as a result of technology, we're all becoming the same. But I know, like it's 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 so like amazing and scary. Yeah, how fast globalization is. And you know, I I'm a musician, but I'm also in tech because I'm a sound design sound designer. So I embrace how like technology evolves and allows us to do more and gives us more tools but at the same time it's it's kind of scary to see how fast it's it's evolving and and yeah like you know in my music this is what i kind of try to express to to like embrace traditions embrace like roots but at the same time recontextualize it in in i guess a modern way because i i kind of like both or that contrast but how do you retain a certain specific flavor of who you are, right? Because you're 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 now part of three different places: Hungary, Vietnam, and Brooklyn, right? These are yeah. three very cultural, and you're very young to be um, developing in the next few decades. And I'm interested to 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 hear your thoughts on sort of a retention or how do you project your sound. Uh, profile as you were going further into to the world of art i mean this is my struggle forever like this mm. is the 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 question of existence you know in my yeah. in my life because i have this ongoing identity crisis like even though like there are some times when i embrace this or that side of me more but i don't know like that's my main question where do i belong because when I'm in Vietnam, I feel like I'm being treated as a as a Viet Q or like more like a Western, you know, uh, even though I speak the language. And when I'm in Hungary, I'm being treated as an Asian girl. And then in 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 New York, it's like kind of like everybody's from everywhere. So so you know, it's it's I don't I don't I don't really know. And I think music is my tool to kind of like tap into my feelings. Mm. How, how that is and i obviously I'm, I'm all three now as as you said and 
I could not pick one place. And, you know, every year I kind of split my time between the U.S. and Vietnam and Hungary. I spent most of my times in, in New York. That's my base now. But because I have family both in Vietnam and in and in Hungary, and, and luckily I have some like career opportunities there too, I go those to those places every year. And it's these transitions are always like messy, you know, it, 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 I, I need to really find my routine and calm down and, and process these transitions because it's, it's somehow a culture shock yeah. for me too, because I question myself like, okay, so who I am in this, in this world again. Yeah. So, and, and these are questions and answers that I cannot prepare to send because you know we talked about yeah questions to send out and these are like for me it, these come up this kind of a question like comes up because we're talking about something very specific and i'm sorry to put you on the spot to think about that but that is sort of like a mystery right like because if we can't figure out who we are in the art that we do, it's a tricky thing to navigate, like what kind of sound, what kind of design, what kind of like thinking we're trying to paint out there. But it's a struggle. This is what it it takes to become these artists. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I remember last year I, I did an interview in, in Hungary and I told them that I've been, you know, singing English and Hungarian and I want to explore singing in Vietnamese and they asked me wait so you're gonna sing both in Vietnamese and Hungarian in the same song like kind of like in a funny way they asked me and I'm like no no like I meant I'm gonna sing uh Vietnamese in a separate song and Hungarian in another song and at Buda Fest I tried tried out a new thing uh there was this track that I produced and the harmonies kind of like fit well both um on a Vietnamese, like with a Vietnamese song, it was a bolero song, and it fit well with this old folk Hungarian song as well. Oh, no. So I kind of like tried this out that I switched, you know, in the first verse I did Vietnamese, and in the second verse I switched to Hungarian and then to Vietnamese again. Oh. Uh, and it was it was cool. Like I think, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. I think it was kind of like well received. So that joke that uh, they made, you know, last year at, during the interview in Hungary, like that kind of like actually became a thing that I want to explore more in my artistry. Um, and, and that has been really exciting to, to kind of see how sonically these worlds can, can coexist. And, um, and th that's why I love, you know, electronic music and electronic textures because that allows me to like um to kind of like mend these worlds together in my music for me yeah it's a beautiful thing to mend to put together these mesh up these different languages and different sounds you know you uh performed at south by southwest uh is, was that earlier this year or last year? Yeah, this was uh, in March. In so, March, yeah. Can you yeah, tell me about earlier. how that happened? Uh, how you got invited and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, so actually, um, South by... Um, so actually, all artists can apply to 
to South by to be showcased uh not only artists but you know um brands and and um like panelists I think as well and yeah I applied last year and and then I got the email that I was invited to to perform and I was super excited but I was kind of scared because I didn't have and still do not have like a management company or a record label that could like come with me and, and you know, navigate through a one week event like that. But but I had like the funnest time um, at South by like really it was it was one of the best experiences in my um, artist career. Now, this idea, I'm going to jump again to another topic that you just brought up, like this idea of management. Uh, I've had a few managers on the podcast, and I realized what they do now, which is they sort of point us in the right direction to where we need to go, right? But why is it that agents and managers for talent is so difficult to come by or to sign with? Like what, what is, what like what needs to happen from where you are to get a manager or an agent i think that's also you know like almost like finding the love of your life like it's just the stars needs to be aligned i think to find that perfect manager or agent that really gets your vision and they have the availability and they mm. want to work with you like i think that's something that well, obviously i have to be open to to meet that person but it's it's not really easy to to find that person and i think south by southwest is a really good um place for artists like myself independent artists to kind of like be exposed to a lot of industry professionals other artists to kind of exchange ideas so yeah actually i um one of the w- one of the few things that i'm so grateful from from south by um, is that it really opened some new doors for me. And, you know, I'm still like talking and um, emailing with some industry professionals who are interested in working with me and interested in my next project. Like I performed um, on three different stages and uh, there were some A&Rs who, who attended my show and, you know, that started conversations. So I think that's the main reason a lot of people want to play at South by because other than it being really fun, you can, you can network with a lot of um, music industry people. You know, your uh, analogy to finding the love of your life is very um, telling because I think there's a lot of accuracy in that statement because in order for a manager to push an artist, they have to have so much connection to the material, to the essence of who the artist is, to push, to believe that they're going to make a difference to in the artist's life. So that idea of that deep connection, uh, there's a, a a story that I can talk about with like, you, do you know the artist Twee? Yes. Yeah. I know her, yeah. her manager uh, said the same thing. It's like, she was the one who tried to persuade Twee to become uh, somebody that she can sign with, you know? It's it's that sort of like that deep connection saying, I feel what you're trying to do and I would do everything yeah. in my power. And it took her months to really lock that deal down to sign the the artist. And I I think that 
it, the being the love of your life analogy is so true because without that, you know, you just don't want it to be like a, just some empty managing situation. Yes. Because obviously like you have to make business out of like your music. If you, if you want to do that, like long-term and you want to like spend, you know, like full time on it. Uh, but at the same time, like none of us enter the music industry because we're trying to be rich. Like, you know, we probably would have chosen other fields if that was our main motivation. So for a manager to like commit to an artist that at the beginning, it's it's more time and effort to invest in more than to get something out is is a huge deal. And then, you know, like when these people approach me that they want to work with me, like, how do I know that I can trust them? Yeah. How, how, how do I know? Like other than, you know, they're like portfolio or like those like conversations that we, we had, at, you know, one day or one night it's, it's difficult. So I think it's, it's really a gut feeling when you find um, that person that you want to like collaborate and work with long-term and that closely reminds it which reminds me when i think about like the idea of vuive fest right and you're managing that as a sort of an event that you kind of produce what kind of artists inspires you and what kind of curation process uh, this is something i want to ask actually when we started the vuive conversation how do you curate who goes on and 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 I mean, how do you really think about like the direction of the show or do you just kind of like let it just be? No, I think there is like a general um, creative direction. Leo and I have very similar taste in, in mm. music. So that was a no brainer, but it was kind of like, you know, he he picked the 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 stand up comedians and I uh, thought about um, the music side more, but but yeah, I think it's okay. First of all, obviously, we, we we think about who's in our close network because that's the easiest to to find people that you know that you work well with. But yeah, with with, with Ness and Zui, I didn't know them in person. I just really liked their art um, through what I saw on Instagram, and I knew that they are New York based artists, so that's how they came to our mind. But but yeah, I think I think we just want to like um, celebrate as many kinds and forms of art as possible at at Bouvefes. I think that's our like main mission, and we just want to create an environment and space that is fun and invites kindness. Um, and I think that that's it. <laughs> what's what's next on the horizon for the rest of the year for you? Well, now I'm in Hungary, actually, working on a musical. I'm in this musical called Six. I don't know if you heard about it. No, um, Six. Okay. Yeah, it's it's called Six. Uh, they, I think it's being played on Broadway right now. And there's like a Hungarian adaptation. Uh, what is so it? It's, it's about the six ex-wives of uh, Prince Henrik. <laughs> It's yeah, it's it's a really fun musical. It's very like um, you know, uh female empowerment. It's 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 funny, like it's a modernized 
version of, of you know, that era and that story. And yeah, the six wives get together and we we sing about the prince <laughs> and the bad things he does, he did to us. <laughs> and, and so is this an American original uh, production or did it come from the UK uh, or? I think, I think it came from the UK, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like I know it's, it's really successful in New York on Broadway, but I think, yeah, you might be right. And I think the story comes from the UK, actually. But I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Because we don't have prints and, you know, that kind of stuff yeah. in the US. So that's that's why I guess the UK. But now, so yeah. this sounds like a really big production in Hungary for you. Is that right? Yeah, it it is a big production. And uh, there's a lot of, like, choreography and songs that I have to learn. So... Most of my times now is is being spent on that, but I can't wait to be back on the stage of um, the theater world because I do have a a side that loves like musicals. I, I used to play in a uh, Miss Saigon in in Hungary. I was I was Kim in Hungary, oh, <laughs> and wow. but that was many years ago. Like that was in two thousand fifteen, maybe. And ever since then, I I just didn't revisit this side of me because I was busy with other things and you know my my music but when I got this um offer and invitation I was like you know what like I, I kind of want to go back to the theater world for a little bit and then meanwhile um I'm working on my next um music project my next I guess like EP yeah. material so um so yeah this time is gonna be more about you know like I not isolate myself, but but getting into my introvert self, staying home and and writing a lot of music. Uh, I'm gonna play a few shows, but not too many because I just really wanna sit down and produce new material. I think I told you that I um I'm gonna sample my grandfather's um music because uh, we found his old cassette tapes in Vietnam. Uh, my grandparents were Hailing musicians. And he he always recorded himself when he was like improvising on his guitar and dining with and a bunch of like other traditional instruments. So I digitalized all these cassette tapes in New York. So I have it all on my hard drive. And I just want to sit down and listen through this material and and see which parts, you know, I can I can use in my music because that's gonna be a very, I think, you know, important and personal project for me and I want to sing Vietnamese more I have like I have a lot of love for um bolero and Nhạc Vang mm -hmm. so I want to also experiment with that how I can use these motifs and and melodies in in my music so so yeah I'm actually very excited to to create after uh, South by, I think I got a lot of inspirations just from other artists being exposed to this like very like multicultural, you know, um, space. Like I met artists from all over the world. And uh, one of the stages that I performed was at uh, this event called Tiger Den, which apparently was the first ever South by showcase with an all Asian multi-genre lineup. Uh, and I I was so excited for that. And I've been following a bunch of artists that I met from that event. So so yeah, I think I think I have a, a lot of ideas now and I just wanna kinda like 
unpack these. Very exciting. Very exciting. I can't wait to hear the sampling of your grandfather with all the instrumentation and what you do to modernize the sound and incorporate your perhaps your vocals and your style to the uh, to the music. Yay, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. And then when I'm back to the US and New York, we we're going to start to plan out the next Weaver Fest. We are we're thinking of doing a, a Lunar New Year Weaver Fest. I look forward to that. I look forward yeah. to hearing about that and hopefully getting Leo onto the podcast, you know. Um, yeah, that yeah. would be great. And if you are in New York, like that would be so cool if you come to one of our events. Yeah, I, there's a big event in DC uh, for the Vietnam Society. It's um, oh. organized by a woman named Erin Steinhauer. She's Vietnamese. I think I heard about it and I think Leo was there. Last year? Oh, last year? It wasn't this year? Um, I think it was Tachung uh, Tu last year. And so they do it every year. And then they have like a week of like celebration events all over uh, DC, like at the Smithsonian, at all of the big museums uh, in DC. So she puts on like a whole week kicking off uh, the first day with the Vietnamese gala. The Vietnam yes, I think I think I heard about it because uh, Leo was 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 posting it on his story. Yeah, I think I yeah. saw it there. There's but so yeah. much happening. Yeah, so that's I happening know. on the East Coast. And if you guys put a show together, uh, maybe if I'm on the East Coast to attend that gala, then you know, come out to New York and and attend the Vuive uh, Fest. Yeah, that would be so fun. Yeah. That would be Very so cool. fun. And you know, like in general, like as you said, there are so much happening now. Yeah. Um, in in our community. Maybe and, and like I think it's just a great time for for like Vietnamese creatives in the diaspora and in Vietnam to to join forces and 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 do great things and you know lift our culture up. Like I'm I'm really excited for for this time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hin, for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey. And, you know, I look forward to the next uh, iterations of, of the work that you produce. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast.